Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. G'day Australia, Glenn James here and John Pigeon. Welcome to Super September and today we are talking with Phil Usher who's the CEO of First Nation Foundation. Thanks Phil for being here. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a great little setup here. Yeah, and well, we, we thank you for uh, making the effort to pop into the studio. There's a, there's a new rule if you live within kind of 100Ks of the studio. We ask if you can yeah. come to us for a better experience for everyone. So. Totally. Makes yeah. it easier. Neighbours to Newcastle, so. Yeah, totally. Like to eyeball. So, Phil, we'll, we'll get into a little bit about your role uh, as CEO of the foundation and what you guys are doing, but I guess the purpose of this episode is to highlight, uh, I guess, money issues with Indigenous Australians. And number one, I guess, highlight to our listeners, because some of the stats I'll share, uh, they're quite alarming stats. And if I didn't research for this episode, I wouldn't have known of the stats. Likewise, if you didn't listen to this episode, you wouldn't have known of the stats as well. So I think, number one, it's a real awareness piece that I want to do this around the issues for Indigenous Australians. Uh, in relation to their money. And number two, there might be some Indigenous Australians who are listening and we could have some resources uh, for them as well, which we'll go through as part of the podcast. Is that a fair assumption of what we're doing here? Yeah, sounds good. Apparently we're giving something away as well. Yeah, I hit John up before we recorded and I said, I reckon we can make a donation to the foundation, so we might talk about that at the end. Yeah, look forward to it. Yeah. So we can negotiate. Uh, yeah, I always like spring <laughs> things on John last minute. Including the topic. Including the topic. <laughs> John walks in, he's like, what are we talking about Who's today? <laughs> so we can't do this podcast without our show partner, Sun Super. Thank you so much, Sun Super, for getting behind the podcast, getting behind the financial literacy discussion that we're trying to make here. And I was pleased to know, Phil, that on your website, there's a Sun Super logo. They're also a partner and supporter of the First Nations are, Foundation. Yeah. So, thank you to Sun Super. But a lot of people might not know Sun Super is a not-for-profit company. So, that means they don't run at a profit to pay dividends to people who own the super company. Any surplus that's within Sun Super just gets invested back into the super fund. Uh, so, that benefits members. So, thank you so much, Sun Super. If you are interested in throwing Sun Super in the mix, make sure you log on to sunsuper.com.au forward slash M3 and we suggest you throw them in the mix if you are reviewing your superannuation. Since 2014, Phil, First Nations Foundation has helped over 1,600 Aboriginal people across 21 communities to be reconnected with $24 million in super 
in 2019, so just last year, the foundation launched the world's first online training facility designed by Aboriginal for Aboriginal people. So I will get back to all the good things the foundation is doing, but I thought we would start with your own personal story. Uh, So who are you? Where are you from? What are you about? (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. You can pronounce some of the the names that I couldn't, so... (laughs) Yeah, not a problem. Uh, Phil Usher grew up in uh, Tamworth, uh, out in country New South Wales. One of six kids, grew up in, started in Aboriginal Housing Commission out in the Tamworth area. Uh, parents eventually built up and bought their own house. Uh, had like a little hobby farm, it was five acres, which was pretty cool. Uh, and the thing with, uh, you know, being one of six kids is uh, you're never alone. There's always someone to annoy or someone to have fun with. So, you know, the growing up was pretty cool, but it's not till, um, not till you sort of get to your teenage years when you're a bit more aware of kind of your financial situation. Mm. And then I'm looking around, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, things are a little bit tight money-wise in our family. You know, dad was the only one working. My mum looked after the kids. And you can imagine six kids trying to feed and raise on a single income. So mm. uh, things were pretty tight. And as I said, you don't pick that up till you're, till you're in your um, sort of teen years. And, and for me, I remember the way that I got into, got into finance was my sister bought me this um, book. It was something real simple like money or understanding money or something. And I wasn't, I wasn't particularly a naughty kid at school. I just didn't pay a lot of attention. It kind of didn't hold my attention too long. Uh, but this, I took to this book for some reason. It was just fascinating. It explained what was, uh, you know, the tax rates and how that worked and it explained inflation um, and how that worked. And I remember feeling like, oh, I, don't know, I'm, I think I'm a bit of an adult now because yeah. I understand this and – and since then, I've learned that uh, it's not what adults do. Adults have no idea about inflation or calculating tax. Um, <clears throat> but I just really took to that kind of topic. Uh, so, yeah, having grown up in sort of that area and, and when you come from that background, you don't have a lot of people to kind of bounce off. Uh, you know, don't know a lot of people that have owned businesses or mm. that have invested. I, was, I think I was the first one in my family to invest in the stock market. So I was just on this kind of, you know, self-discovery kind of journey. Uh, took to business, as I said, went to... That's where we moved up to Newcastle to study business at, at university there. Uh, and then, yeah, went on to various roles, I guess, in, um, in government and business advisory, having startups and side hustles as well. Um, and, yeah, probably brings me to this point of working with First Nations Foundations, which is a good combination of community work that I did in, in government as well as some of the uh, financial and investing stuff that I'd, I'd done on the side as well. So growing up as a child in Housing Commission, uh, and there'd be a lot of listeners who have been in that boat, um, I guess, as you said, as you're getting older, you're becoming more aware of the money situation. I guess there can be some stigma in the community about Housing Commission. Did you feel that was doubled down uh, by being Indigenous in Housing Commission? Like, what was that like growing up? Yeah, at the time, you're just not sort of aware of it because you just... You don't know. You're not aware of what else is happening. And I look back, some of the some of the things my friends said, and I, I remember now, I always had fr- uh, trouble getting friends to come over. And I remember this one kid, and it wasn't until I'd um, found out, you know, kind of later on when I was working in Redfern, um, but <laughs> the, the the Aboriginal Housing Commission area used to be called um, Vegemite Village, which is a terrible name for it. And I remember one of my friends saying, like, oh, my parents said I couldn't go to Vegemite Village and, and visit people. Wow. wow. And I didn't realise this till I was, like, in my 20s sinking back to that because at the time I didn't didn't process it, what it yeah. meant. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, that, that sucks, but anyway. Yeah. And then when I'm older, I'm like, oh, wow, that was, yeah. That yeah, was yeah. 
that revolving door moment that your sister handed you a book, um, two things. What what made her give you that book and, and was she, I suppose, mature herself in that space? Yeah, so the book was a birthday present. I don't know how thought out it was or yeah. if it was being cheeky or something. Uh, but her herself is, her and her partner are both super impressive. Um, I think, you know, for the HSC she got a 97.8. Mm. Um, her partner got 99.8. Right, um, similar <laughs> to Glenn. So, yeah. yeah, so that stuff. When someone like that hands you that yeah. book, you kind of say, "All right, I'll get, I'll give it a squiz." Yeah, um, based on that sort of credibility. So yeah, okay, yeah, kind of warranted having a read. And is that uh, area in Tamworth still as is today, or is it as it gentrified? In terms of the housing commission mm. area, yeah, still very much there today. Yeah, um, going through a lot of the same issues, and it's one of the challenges with Aboriginal communities is you generally get caught up into that one space like everyone gets sort of put together the housing mm. commission area comes together and that's all you sort of know yeah. and it's kind of some of the aspiration of some people as well where you get um you know the, the security for some people in aboriginal communities is to get into government housing because mm. the rent's cheap and you're pretty secure and the other part is to get on a pension so you get a pension uh, once you're on that you're almost on it for life and then you're on <clears throat> what thousand bucks a fortnight in cheap accommodation mm. and that's maybe the extent of uh, financial planning for some Aboriginal people that kind of grow up in that area right. and aren't exposed to, um, yes, exposed to other aspects of life. Yeah, so the um, the 2019 Money Stories report that uh, the Foundation commissioned along with uh, NAB um, and this is just wild and it speaks to that, I guess, housing commission you know we'll get the house we'll get the pension and then we're set quote unquote yeah um one in ten indigenous australians are financially secure so that's ten percent ten percent yeah yeah so that's i I mean it's just staggering yeah What, what that model that you mentioned about the pension and the cheaper housing yeah how would you change it if you had to? If if you if you're in charge of the country, yeah. what things would you tweak if you had your time? Yeah, so it's and keep it subject matter specific. <laughs> <laughs> you guys about to go on a rant there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, where, where do I begin? <laughs> <laughs> because because most of us have absolutely no idea about what's going on anywhere else in Australia, let alone Middle Australia or anywhere else. So yeah, we don't really get the full story. Yeah, so what it is is less about the money sort of education and sort of understanding that history of Aboriginal culture and, and what money is um, to in culture terms. And it goes into that in this in study as well. But when I was travelling last couple of years, I really made a connection with some of the differences. You know, fortunate enough to travel over to Europe. My wife's Italian. We're over there and you're driving around and, you know, every 15, 20 minutes, there's a castle. You just drive past a castle, right. looking down on this little village, castle looking down on this village. And then I was thinking, I'm like, why, why aren't there any castles in Australia? Like everywhere else they've kind of got castles or this sort of hierarchy. And apart from probably being way too hot to build one, um, it's just not part of the Aboriginal culture to have sort of that hierarchy. 
And even when we look at the European model, like every country's had their go at having an empire, like you've got the British Empire, the Ottoman Empire, you had the French Revolution, and they'd all expand their borders and contract and expand and contract. But in Australia, I don't know if you've seen the map with the 500 tribes of um, Aboriginal areas, but there's 500 tribes across Australia. And there's no land or asset acquisition. They were just kind of happy. Um, you know, making do, living off the land and living off the resources. There was like the biggest one in New South Wales, Wiradjuri, you know, there wasn't any, uh, any plans to expand the borders and to take over other tribes or anything. They definitely had some wars and, and um, you know, differences. It was but, almost a spirit of contentment. Yeah, almost. because yeah. you had everything you need. You had your mm. food, you had your uh, family, you had the celebration. Yeah. Um, so there's not this history of asset acquisition. And one of the interesting things around that study was, uh, we asked Aboriginal people what their definition of financially comfort was. And for non-Aboriginal people, they tend to go with a boat. Like they think having a boat is kind of heading towards a pinnacle of financial comfort, which I'm, would be pretty I'm, sweet. I'm close. <laughs> You've nearly achieved that goal. It's, yeah, it, it does sound all right. Mm. Uh, but when Aboriginal people were asked that, it was um, – it was just having a fridge full of food. Mm. So if people or family come around, you'll be able to sustain them and you'll be able to enjoy that family time. So even all that years later, we've got non-Aboriginal people focusing on asset acquisition mm. and we're just worried about having food and kind of family. But it speaks to that mindset that you talked about, whether it's subconscious or not or whatever, you know, that's why you're here to speak on behalf of what you know about the Aboriginal community, um, that if there is that default mindset, if I get my pension, if I get my house, that's all good yeah, because that's all I need. Mm. Well, that's it. Yeah. You're content in that, that yeah. sort of area. And there's a lot we could learn from that contentment mindset, I believe. Well, well, it's funny. Almost the goal of working is to live a similar style of life to what Aboriginal people were doing before, mm. just kind of jumping up and hunting and fishing and being sustained and spending time with family. Yeah. yeah. So there's, yeah, it's a funny irony. Your university qualified. You said your sisters dialed in and switched on. Did your whole family kind of expand and grow wings and do all that? Or have you still got family in Tamworth? Yeah, still got uh, family in Tamworth. Uh, kind of spread out everywhere. My, my older sister went to Sydney, did uni. She's a um, social worker at Children's Hospital in Randwick. Uh, incredible work she does there. Uh, my second older sister is um, currently working in the uh, schooling system with Aboriginal students. Uh, my brother, uh, my second to me, he's just finished his degree in computer science and is now doing a master's in computer science. So he's one of those freak mm. people that can program and can code software. Another brother's just taken on a apprentice chef in a Michelin star restaurant. And I've got the youngest one um, up in Brisbane working in furniture sales and, and being 21. Oh. So we had this, um, you know, our parents were supportive to go to university, but they're more worried about, you know, your general kind of happiness. Mm. You know, it wasn't go to university for the sake of doing it. It's, you know, if you're happy in what you're doing, it doesn't matter whether you're a doctorate in, you know, philosophy or neurology or you're working in retail, it was... Yeah, yeah, which is often forgotten, isn't it? it the, the ugly parent syndrome kicks in and yeah. maybe what I didn't achieve, I want to put pressure on my kids to do better or, yeah, just that high expectation when at the end of the day they're not enjoying what they're doing because yeah, of it. Yeah, and Dad was big on that, just whatever you enjoy doing. it. Doesn't, success isn't about your, your income or mm. it's kind of that self-happiness in a way. Yeah, yeah and we will at 
I guess the back half of the episode, talk a little bit about investing in your own personal interests because you've got a podcast. And But I think it's interesting how, you know, you have uh, got a qualification, you've got your business degree, you, um, but you haven't gone, all right, it's time to be the capitalist pig and conquer and divide and all that. <laughs> you've gone, I can actually use what I've got for good mm. and so back into, you know, the community but also yeah you're allowed to invest and do your other thing on the other side as a bit of a passion project or building your own financial future right yeah and and that's um that, that giving back's real obligation to con aboriginal people there's this expectation you go out um and you know it probably hasn't changed again from those traditional times you see the the men go out and they hunt they get the food they get up early they work really hard they have to be you know on their game really fit and you bring it bring the food back and everyone kind of shares in that resources as well kind of similar now if you go out and you sort of work and you you get money and you acquire wealth it's a bit of an expectation that you might share that with family and friends as well. So, or even um, you know, giving back in some kind of capacity is mm. is yeah, mm. very cultural. So, a lot of work is to be done. So, the money stories report. I'll just read some of these stats. Less than two in five Indigenous people can access two k for an emergency, compared with four in five in the broader population. Right. So, and I think that's interesting as well. Like. Uh, it speaks to access. So if there was an emergency and I didn't have the two grand, I can go to mum or my brother or my sister where in some communities in Australia, you just don't have that wealth in the community. Yeah. Uh, so that's very important to note. Uh, severe financial stress is present for half the Indigenous population compared with one in 10 of the broader Australian population. So 10% of the broader Australian population is in financial stress but it's, I think it's around 48 to 52% yeah. if my memory serves me in the report. So yeah. uh, best part of half. It's high. And 52.5% uh, of survey respondents said they didn't have any savings compared with 13% with the broader Australian community. That's so crazy. a lot of work to be done. <laughs> Every time I hear that. Yeah. Interested yeah. to know, like no disrespect to surveys, but – how far they actually reach with surveys like that when you're talking about um, communities like those so remote? Yeah, so uh, it, it wasn't a focus on remote. Um, I think that was because uh, head office is based down in Melbourne. Um, a large portion of that came from kind of Melbourne, all those fringe suburbs sort of right. around that area. Okay. Mm. Um, and, and we partnered with um, Centre of Social Impact. So we certainly did go some of those more regional remote communities through our partners, but yep. there's also a lot of on-the-ground stuff um, in in urban slash regional areas. And I think the report, if I remember when I read it, that it pretty much gets really bad the further out you go yeah. in terms of... Yeah, the numbers just get... Yeah. Yeah. They're crazy now, but they get even more crazy mm. when you go remote. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's as an aggregate type of pulse check, lots of work to be done. Um, and that's why we're here to give it a voice and talk to you know people like yourself and your foundation uh, with what you're doing. So talk to us about uh, My Money Dream. Yeah, so My Money Dream is our online um, financial training. And what, are, what it's based on, it was based on our 
old face-to-face product called uh, My Moolah. So we'd go out to community and we'd deliver that face-to-face and it used to be, I think, six weeks in its original form. Um, you'd come back over a period of time. They, they'd got it down to about one day. Uh, but at the end of last year, we decided to, to put that online just to make it more scalable and to make it you know, more accessible because what happens is you go into training and you learn about the stuff and you're like, cool, I understand, I get it. And then the trader disappears and then when you're back home, yeah. you forget what you learned. So we wanted to have something where you can kind of log in time and time again and you'd be watching the video or going over the content. Um, So I was kind of always there that you always had access to it and you could always kind of do stuff in private like to put your hand up and ask clarifying questions when you're in a group can be embarrassing sometimes but if you've kind of got it in your phone you can go through and you can be a bit more private about some of the questions that you want to ask. Mm. And so that it's important to note that the money course is targeted at Indigenous Australians yeah, and is made by Indigenous Australians. Yeah, yep. So we'd, um, I had some input into the design of that. We worked with some financial counsellors uh, that have been on the ground uh, as well as a whole heap of community members to, to build that. Um, so the, the main difference is, I mean, the budgeting stuff is what it is. No one's changed that recipe for allocating your income for years. Yeah, Ours is providing that cultural context um I was delivering uh, to the Glen, which is kind of just down the road from here. Oh, yeah, here. I know it well. Yeah, yeah um, delivering to guys out there and they didn't know about stolen wages. So that's where Aboriginal people would work and the government would hold their wages in trust saying, you know, we'll, we'll give you wages at some point and they never received it. So and, – and that was up until the late 70s. Wow. So we say, you know what? I'd say I'd never even heard of that. No, No. I didn't either. Yeah, so that that stuff's kind of crazy. So we think, um, you know, we haven't had experience managing money because we haven't really had it. Mm. Like you learn all your money skills from mum and dad or your grandparents, Mm. but if they've never had- Or not at all. Or not at all. (laughs) It's the other option. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but if they've never had their own money that they've been able to manage, then you don't have anywhere to kind of learn it from. So we we talk about that in the training tad, uh, that cultural context. You know, with personal budgeting, there's basically two big, levers it's income and outgo and in the middle there's this thing called how the hell do i manage this <laughs> what do you think uh in a lot of the communities that you've worked with what do you think the biggest problem is um the income side the managing or we just spend it all side yeah so i think because yeah, there's kind of multiple sort of communities and what we do well our strength isn't so much on the extreme vulnerability part, the financial counselling. There's a lot of good organisations that are working really well. Ours is... And I might get an intro uh, for for a, uh, a, counsel, a financial counsellor in your world. Yeah. And maybe they can come in and have a chat to us as well. Yeah, because they'll give some crazy case studies and stories about people on the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah, our, our specialty is in that kind of wealth building area. So we've seen the government push for employment, and with employment, um, you know, it comes higher wages. So if you've gone off, you know, Centrelink um, into a, a decent income or, you know, you've gone from an entry-level job up to kind of senior, you've got this disposable income um, that's sort of left over. So, you know, we're talking to people from super funds and they employ Aboriginal people that would be working in mines and they'd be on like 150 grand a year, which is great income. That, mm. that's, that's phenomenal effort. But when that mine closed down or that project finished, then they'd go back to being kind of, you know, on the other end of the, the pendulum thing. swung. Yeah. yeah, only because they didn't know what they could do. They didn't know to get ahead on the mortgage or to save or to invest or to have a, an emergency fund. 
So there's definitely part in the community where, you know, they, they struggle with the income part and, and if you're on Centrelink or if you're on a limited income, it's hard to kind of budget anyway. Mm. But there's this whole other area and it's kind of a growing uh, middle class that we're talking about. Um, they're just not aware of the options that you can do with this um, extra bit of money. Yeah. So let's move on to, I guess, Indigenous super issues. Uh, talk to us about, and it was postponed this year due to COVID, but talk to us about the big super day out that uh, you guys facilitate. And again, I saw Sun Super on there for <laughs> helping out. So well that's, uh, geez, it'd be embarrassing if they weren't helping out on this episode. Like the only super fund that wasn't. Yeah, also. I know. Yeah, they've, been, they've been supporters for a while. <laughs> Um, yeah, so big super day out. What we do is we identify um, communities. So you can go on to, I think it's a tax office website and you can bring up the postcodes that have the biggest uh, number of lost super. Uh, and then we kind of cross-reference that with our knowledge of um, Indigenous population. So one we were going to hit was Western Sydney this year. Uh, massive Aboriginal population and I think it was around that Liverpool sort of area was one of the top ones for lost superannuation. So that makes our decision kind of easier. So what we do is we bring Centrelink, we bring tax office, uh, we'll take super funds, each super fund will send one to two people uh, and then we'll take financial counsellor as well. And then we'll go out to um, a community, we'll work with a community partner, set up for the day, and we kind of get people to go through, depending on their challenges, um, you know, having identity or knowing your tax file number, something simple like that can be difficult. So if we've got the tax office there and they can identify them, um, or they go to Centrelink and they get their CRN, which cross-references with a so tax they, office. So thankfully, like if you're on the big super day out, you can have Centrelink there, ATO there, and they yeah. can just nail issues on the spot. Mm. Yeah, oh. for, awesome. for most of it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's yeah. great. And then it gets more complex when they talk about insurance or if they come up with a deceased estate from last month or yeah. something. That's when it gets really technical. Yeah. But that 24 mil comes from kind of that process and having everyone on board. And even even that tough decision where it does sort of borderline that advice about, okay, I've got five super funds. Who do I roll it into? Mm. You know, a financial counsellor might be able to walk them through that. And if they say, sweet, let's go with Sun Super. And we've got someone from Sun Super there to have that conversation. Yeah. It just makes it really, yeah, really great. easy. Yeah. So for those that potentially can't make it on that particular day, you've got obviously ongoing support to, to manage that throughout the year? Yeah, so we launched uh, indigenoussuper.com.au uh, as a, not really to replace, but to have something this year because we haven't been able to go out to community. And, and that's a kind of uh, really high level, simple um, introduction to super. And we've got an ebook on there that you download. And it tells you how to navigate MyGov. So it's not going to be, it's not going to work for people that have got, you know, some really challenging issues. But, you know, if you're kind of in that urban setting, you can go through, it's got screenshots that we've taken from right. that process and you can kind of go through and find your, your superannuation yourself. Mm. Um, so that's sort of for the people that can't make those days or is an ongoing. Yeah. Um, how many numbers do you get through some of those days? Does it depend, obviously it depends on the size of the community where you're setting up for that day. Yeah, some... Um, you know, we've been out to quite remote communities where it's 40 or 50 people. Yeah. Um, but some of those are some of the more complex ones, right up to hundreds where I think they've had to turn people away because they've, they've right. been there for 10 hours and there's just <laughs> so much kind of work yeah. to, to go yeah. through. So you're generally dealing with, with people that can access smartphones or, or online and, and 
make their way through that system or do you have the illiterate that just don't have facilities like that? Yeah, we get a combination of uh, of the two. Uh, back in my Centrelink days, one of the craziest stats was um, Aboriginal population had the quickest take-up rate of Centrelink self-service, which just completely blew our mind because I was managing the um, Indigenous community team and we're kind of putting together a bit of a plan on how to roll this up, thinking there'd be, you know, some of those remote communities wouldn't even yeah. have a reception, they don't have access. Yeah. No, just one of the fastest take-ups of digital services. But we we really rely on community partners. So, you know, even though we're Aboriginal and we know the, the context, we still can't go into a community without that partner. Mm. And they'll kind of give us the, the context and they'll say, you know, English really isn't a first language, it's third or fourth here. So we need to prep for this aspect. The digital inclusion's not quite here. So we need to prep for, um, you know, that type of issue. So we get really, uh, you know, really prepared with a community partner before we go out to. Right. So we're kind of aware before we go there. Yeah, wow, it's fascinating. It is, isn't it? I'd love to get involved. I was only thinking, we'd love to be a road trip to yeah. um, go and do that sort of stuff and get out there and do the... Kind of, kind of a jackpot. Do you end up in Western Sydney or do you get to our Cairns one? Who knows? i got a Prado, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I want to go remote and yeah. get into the real stuff. Uh, yeah, so I would encourage everyone to check out indigenoussuper.com.au uh, just to... See what we're kind of discussing about, and I did see. I didn't. I saw her name earlier. Uh, the girl who did the artwork. Uh, it's really beautiful. Uh, um, uh, Nikita, Nikita yes. Ridgeway. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, really good art there. So you've got a, a five-step plan, uh, and I guess this is how you walk people through, maybe on the days or in general. So find it, grow it, protect it, and plan it. Yeah. Uh, so just find it, I think, is obvious, you know, make sure you my gov set up and make sure you at least know where it is. And that your boss is paying you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So grow it. I guess with some of the people that you meet, um, as, as John said, there's going to be a, a range of financial literacy. Um, are we talking to them about asset allocation at, and what are we talking about there with Grow It? Yeah, the, the Grow It's probably more looking at uh, potentially some of the contributions that you can make, right. the tax-effective contributions. So we'll go through and we might do an example of, uh, you know, just 25 bucks a week if you're 30, the difference that can make, you know, maybe eighty or $90,000 a year when you're when you retire but we don't finish there because that's kind of not the motive what you can say is that's the difference between you know five or six overseas holidays when you retire or a really 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 nice car when you retire and not having one because as soon as you get that emotive buy-in all of a sudden that $25 a week now for a you know six or seven international holidays when you retire is an easy kind of sacrifice Mm. to make Mm. so we just make people aware of that sort of option and uh, protected, I would imagine, it would be around insurances. So All about got, the insurance, yeah. Yeah, so the insurance side, you know, you, young family need to protect them and your future if you can't work. Yep. Uh, and then plan it. So I, I guess that speaks to what are we investing in. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's your different kind of options and just understanding where that money goes. Yeah. Because like, you don't really see it. Your employer pays it to a fund and then you don't know what happens. You kind of access it at preservation age. It's kind of explaining those different asset classes, the difference between investing in cash versus uh, stocks over the last 20, 30 years. So, again, that real high-level introduction. To and I guess assets. First Nations Foundation and IndigenousSuper.com.au, you're pretty much uh, product agnostic because you're just talking about concepts for Indigenous people. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we in that last step, that's where we started to talk about that risk profile, and we just walk people through like, you know, are you really nervous? Do you lose sleep at night um, around investing in the stock market? If you do, maybe it's not for you. And one of the one of the things I think can be misunderstood in the financial planning industry is they say, you know, younger people should invest in you know more uh, risky investments or more fluctuating investments, but if you're doing that and it still kind of makes you nervous, then even that's probably not the right product. No. Even mathematically, it might be, but emotionally, if you're nervous about the stock market at 23, um, yeah. Well, but it, it's yeah, I totally agree. I mean, mathematically, it makes sense for me to borrow 200 grand and invest that in a geared internally geared portfolio. Yeah, you know what I mean. But no way. I'm happy with my 90% allocation, <laughs> uh, not double downing on double, not double downing on double gearing. Like, yeah. so yeah, I, I just think I'd really encourage anyone to uh, to log into uh, First Nations Foundation online, Indigenous Super. Uh, is there anything else you kind of? Because I want to take a quick break and then come back and we'll do community member of the week. Anything else? I guess that you really wanted to add or if. You know, you could use this platform to speak. Like, how can people help? How can people get involved? What can we do? And then I might give some of John's money away. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well, the biggest way, like at the moment, like we work with corporates and, and they give us a lot of funding and core funding and, um, you know, donations definitely help to our operations cost and run programs. Uh, we've got some more programs coming up around sort of a, a money-based website um, designed for Aboriginal people under 30. So I've kind of got this cool resource to go to. But just sharing this stuff on social media because uh, when, you're, when you're targeting Aboriginal people in marketing, it's really, really hard to do. Like you can go, th- go through some medias but it's not like you can run a Facebook ad and target Aboriginal people that are in urban locations in yeah. Australia. You kind of have to just throw stuff out there and hope that it sticks. So if people jump on there and they on Facebook and they see us, just sharing and liking posts can be really, really effective because it might reach your network of friends who might have Aboriginal people and, yeah, kind of create that awareness for us. I'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'll do a share on Instagram as well. Yep. Yeah, we're on Insta. Yeah, when this, when this goes up. And that's it. I mean, I can't do much other than use this platform to raise awareness. Yeah. And for everyone that was wondering in the Facebook group, I did actually have a, an interview booked with an Indigenous woman to talk about discrimination in the workplace and you know that didn't happen because she couldn't come on in the end but we will try and address it in the coming months. But in talking with her kind of off mic casually planning that episode, she's like the best thing that we can do for our Indigenous kids is give the Indigenous parents a job. Yeah. So I guess with me saying that we've got this platform called M3, there's plenty of people that are listening who employ people. Why not... Give them a go. You know, employ Indigenous Australians. Yeah, and it's it's a really, you know, the, the chain of effects that employment has. Like if you're in employment, and, and not just like entry-level jobs, but significant employment, you know, then you can start to afford, um, you know, you can afford the education, you can afford, uh, you know, maybe buying... Because the cheapest way to feed a big family is is a really bad stuff like sausages and rice or feed a mm. family for weeks. But if you've got a better income, then you might be able to buy fresher food Gee, and sausages vegetables. Sausages are nice and, though. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in a bit of white bread. Right. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. for lunch today, I cooked sausages, cut it up, put it on toasted uh, rye, a bit of cheese. Yeah. Come at me, Bannings. Come at me. <laughs> <laughs> so regards that employment stuff, this might be slightly controversial, but is the, is the issue... 
the employer not prepared to give someone a go or is it the other end putting their hand up saying, I want to actually work for a company or in this industry? Yeah, so some of it's that kind of awareness and that, that confidence that you, you deserve the right to, uh, to work there because I was talking with one of the aunts out in La Perouse and she's saying growing up, she used to have to get a medical certificate every couple of months to say she was clean enough to work next to non-Aboriginal people. And that was just kind of a factory. So they've got a bit of that that's inherited from parents and, and previous generations. Uh, but I think it's not so much getting Aboriginal people into the employment, it's understanding some of the cultural nuances once you're employed. Like our some of our cultural obligations around sorry business isn't sort of just going to a funeral for a day or two. It might be weeks that you're required there and you've got uh, family and cultural obligations that you're expected to attend to. But you put that into a, a workforce or a small business, that's a long time not to have totally. a staff member. Yeah. So kind of build a framework or policies around that or just understanding some of those um, some of those issues can really help uh, with that retention stuff. So employment's one part, but that retention... Um, well, it's just actually understanding culture yeah, and wanting to champion that culture that, and embrace it. it. But yeah. those obligations, like I, I'm living under a rock, I wouldn't have a clue what some of the obligations are within those communities either. Yeah, yeah, and they vary for community to community. They vary based on gender. Uh, males will have very different obligations to females. Females might have to take over, you know, looking after an extended family role for a period of time while the other ones are in mourning or sorry business or they're going to do men's business for a period of time. Mm. So there's just this massive cultural obligation. But we call it, um, you know, living in two worlds. We've got this corporate obligation where we've got to try and maintain that yeah. as well. Nine to five bums on seat type thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we've got the cultural obligation which we're trying to manage as well. It's almost like we need um, a mandated cultural leave or something like that. Yeah, we we had some uh, some of that in the the public service when yeah. I was working there. We had, um, I think, we got one or two days or week off during NAIDOC week to go attend cere- um, celebrations and ceremonies, and then we had, I think, two days during the year to kind of attend cultural stuff mm-hmm. as well. So. Um, yeah, I think, and, and when I talk to you know Aboriginal people and they're getting jobs, I tell them just to tell your boss this because they they won't know, yeah. and, and it's not because of an ignorance or any um, you know uh, any hatred or anything. It's just the fact that they don't know, they didn't no. grow up with it, so you, mm. so you wouldn't know. So I tell them to have that conversation, and, and most people are generally understanding. When you put that context into it, they're generally flexible and try and work out some kind of arrangement. But what tends to happen is, you know, Aboriginal people be really shy and they won't bring up this other stuff. So it just looks like they're they kind of muck it up at work or they've disappeared all or of something. A yeah, it's discrimination. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it flows on, doesn't it? Yeah, and and I will say, like when we touch these quote unquote socially divisive topics, I mean, whatever we say, we cannot please everyone. Mm. Um, whether you're Phil, John or Glenn, there's going to be people that are upset because we didn't say one thing or we said too much of another. Please, please, please understand our heart and our intent um, that it is to do good and to raise these issues and do not let your perfect way of doing things be the enemy of our good. So that's kind of, I want to finish on that. Mm. Let's have a quick break and go into Community Member of the Week. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
And now, for the most highly regarded, auspicious moment in podcast history in Australia, which maybe isn't as big as it should be, it is the My Millennial Money Community Member of the Week. All right, we are back for a Com Member of the Week, and then we'll swing around and chat to Phil about investing just for some fun for 10 minutes. What do we got, John? So we have Graham, Community Member of the Week. He is 20. He lives in Bris, Vegas. Love it. Welcome, Graham. Thanks so much for listening and being part of the community. Mm -hmm. He is an apprentice plumber. Working with shit all done. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, hey, they, they did call them the dunny divers. That's right. That's right. So his money goal is finish saving an emergency fund and save money for investing. How they're achieving this goal, he started an up account to get them roundups, baby. Oh, also rough, using rough, the rough. Glenn James spending plan. Oh, look at that. Wow. There's, this is why you made me say this, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Silliest money mistake. First time I went out clubbing. I haven't done that for a while. I didn't know I was such a generous drunk and was basically handed out my handed out my debit card to mates shouting round after round. Ha ah, very exy night. Oh, that's I've done that before. Seriously, so I hear you, Graham. I, a lot of people wouldn't know and probably irrelevant, but I actually I don't drink alcohol at all. I never have and I never Thank will. God. Thank goodness. Jeez, it would be a wild time. Um but I was out Oh, a couple of years ago, and I remember Megan. If you're listening, Megan, oh. uh, Arnon, <laughs> no, a lovely friend, and we're at—I think we're at the star for someone's birthday or something like that. And I said, "Oh, Megs, come on, I'll buy you a drink or whatever. Just grab whatever you want." <laughs> and she bloody goes the uh, the espresso martini. It was like twenty dollars, yeah, for a bloody drink. Well played, nice, Megan. A nice drop, though. Yeah, yeah, on your Megan, yeah. <laughs> Good taste, Megan. It wasn't her first rodeo, was it? <laughs> for old wet behind the ears, Glenn. <laughs> he's copped that one. So I, I can, I can see, like, and I just, I'm just oblivious to, like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'll lemon lime vita for me is a big night, but um, <laughs> just it can add up those shouts. Can't really, it? we're only talking about that this morning. And mate, so I go swimming every Friday morning and we shout a round of coffees yeah. and we say, well, it's a heap cheaper to, to shout that than a round of uh, alcoholic drinks. Totally. Mm, totally. I have a general rule. I only shout if I win on the pokies. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you never shout. <laughs> or if a shark bites you. Yeah. Mm. So speaking of investing and speculative investments... <laughs> So on the pokes. That's a segue. Yeah. So, Phil, you're, um, you've got a personal interest and passion um, to do with investing. Yep. Uh, you've done that for a while. You run another little podcast called? Cheeky Investor. And you basically talk about investing. I guess what's your own investment philosophy in your own life? Yeah. Um, besides the pokies. Besides the pokies and the feature on the feature. Um, <laughs> is, is it's it's way simpler than than what people make out to be. And, and what I get uh, people to do is I'll say, think about your day or think about last couple of days and just write down all the companies that you've had an interaction with. So if you're waking up, first thing you reach for is your phone. It's going to be Apple or Samsung or <laughs> one of those. Huawei before they get banned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, before they get banned. Um, you know, even, even waking up in your bedding, where'd you buy that from? Do you go down to Target and get it? You know, what coffee are you drinking? What car are you driving to work? And, you know, at the end of the day, you'll have these list of companies 
and then I'll say, all right, split them into your personal use, split them into your business use, and any crossovers, that's kind of your list where you start looking because all these companies are on the stock market. Mm-hmm. You know, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, how many times you use those a day? And I use that as people's introduction to shares because they get really overwhelmed. They think the share market's so complex, I don't understand it. What if a company goes under? How are they valued? So as a starting point, it's just kind of companies that you interact with mm. on a daily basis. I like that. And, and the advantage of that is because you're a consumer, you know what um, you know. You know what makes a company work. Mm. So Apple copped a bit of a, a hiding, I think it was a sort of last year, or maybe 18 months ago, because people weren't upgrading their iPhone as much. But if you're a consumer of an, as an, of an iPhone and you've got friends that are iPhone users, that's a conversation around the dinner table or over a few drinks. So like, you upgrade into the new iPhone 10. No, no different. I might wait till the next one comes out. Mm. That information, for that to get to Wall Street to report, they have to report it to the same, to the stores and their sales are down and they report it to Apple head office. They go through their financial um, process and they report it to Wall Street three months later. But you knew that information just talking to your friends that, you know, you're not as interested in upgrading as, as often. So mm. breaking it down into its most simplest form mm. is, yeah, what I like to do with mm, Cool. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one because the, the – I guess the biggest myth that I love to debunk, and I'm going to make a mental note of this because it's not on my money myths module in the Glenn James financial plan that I'm working on, pew, pew, um, <laughs> is, you know, investing is like gambling. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got to unpack it. So when we gamble, we put money in the pokes and it's a game of chance stacked against you. When we invest, Woolworths, for example, like you said, these companies, you're actually buying a portion of that company. Now, the question is, do you fundamentally believe that Woolworths is going down the girdler? If the answer is yes, you might have a bigger problem. But if the answer is yes as well, well, we don't put all our eggs in the Woolworths basket. We've got diversification. So I, I think as as an investor, it is that you're actually buying part of a going concern. Yeah. And if Woolworths are going under, that's probably the last of our problems. Um, well, your house is worth stocks. nothing basically. And, and <laughs> We're Hunger Games yeah. free. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, so your whole kind of philosophy is you buy quality equities – um, value stocks almost or do, like what's what do you do in your own type of uh, My own one's just companies that I know and yeah. I know their business model because I love business. I'm yep. just fascinated with business. So that's usually household tech names yep. um, or um, sort of household brands and then I'll have a few specs in there as well. If you ask me about mining or resource stocks, wouldn't have a clue, don't care. Yep. Don't understand how they make their money or the um, imports and exports that impact it. But if I can have a look at a new software um, that's coming out, understand their subscription model, their tech behind it, and is that sustainable? That's where I can really pull apart um, a company. I'll leave. I'll leave this breadcrumb here, but I'll um, I'll share it another time. I just bought some um, shares in a tech IPO. Ooh. Ooh. Tech IPO. Oh, wild! What's everyone think it is? I'll I'll do a little episode on that. Um, yeah. So, do you do much in um, in like direct into the states, or are you doing that via ETFs? No, I, I just go direct in, into US. Yeah. Um, the, the returns in the US are phenomenal and it's so easy to access it now. Totally. Because Australians, Australian and um, the UK are dividend countries. Yeah. Uh, the investors want dividends and that's their return. So 
that's at the cost of kind of growth, that equity growth, whereas Japan and the US, all about the growth. They want these growth stocks. Mm. They want some big numbers. So I tend to go over towards what I look for is kind of a household name with global appeal. So everyone in the world is going to jump up and use Google. Mm. You know, not everyone in the world is going to jump up and use AMP. How many Berkshire Hathaway shares you got? Uh, absolutely none of their <laughs> A class at about three hundred thousand dollars each. Yeah. Um, no, I hadn't bought Berkshire Hathaway because it's funny enough they look overvalued from when I had a mm. look at their numbers because people just get excited and yes. pump up. But the value. it's interesting. Like I, um, I've probably got you know between my super fund and you know trust account through bloody self wealth and the investment bond. I'm probably heavy, quote unquote, international equity. Yeah. Because for me, I'm getting off the bloody island. I mean, there's 30 million people in Australia on a good day where there's 30 million people in greater LA and the companies that I'm investing in uh, are buying shares on the US stock exchange which have exposure to China. So they don't have like, so Starbucks, Magellan Global Fund that I've got shares in. You know, there's a new Starbucks opening in China every 15 hours. Yeah. And I think they're, the getting that, yeah, they're getting that growth um, through the US stock exchange. Yeah. I suppose the, the roadblock maybe for a lot of Australians is not knowing where to start when they go overseas. So yeah, that's, um, yeah, the international equities pieces. I love it when you talk dirty to me, John. <laughs> you, you don't talk, you don't hear John saying, Equities much. Yeah. <laughs> equities. He's a property Unless guy. Unless when we're pulling equities out. I'm oh, not a property the... guy. Yeah, another property guy. Well, go on, John. I knew we were on the same level. Go on, John. <laughs> give your podcast a plug. Ah, oh, look. Have you, haven't you heard it? No. Mm. What my what my millennial it? property. Okay. Broadcast across uh, most channels around the world. Yeah, and is that how we um, give up our smashed av and buy a property in, in six months? No, I've never <laughs> used the smashed av, eh? No? Not it's a, terrible. Yeah. I heard it's actually high for, not good for your cholesterol. No, some of the stuff people put in there. I uh, love it. No. <laughs> I, I do too, but uh, yeah. No, nah, tried it. It was like, it might have been just one I had. It tastes like vinegar. I'm like, what's this? This is weird. Um, we're waffling, so we probably should end it. But um, <laughs> I want to give a shout out to a Facebook group member and this is going to be probably an in-joke between me and this person. (laughs) A shout out to Tim Boxall in the Facebook group and you know why I'm shouting you out. So, (laughs) on you, Tim. Keep it up. (laughs) Can't do it without you, mate. On you, Timmy. Can't do it without you. And then I think we're good, aren't we? We're good. We're going. Thanks, Phil. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was good, um, good chat. And oh, we didn't give any way any John's money away. Oh, how much do you want John to donate? Nah, podcast over. Sorry, uh, it's been how real. Did he own? <laughs> Sorry, how many properties did oh, he own? <laughs> at least one foot worth of toes. Yeah, international equities. Mm. What? Uh, so, what are we? What are we doing? I don't know. We'll give the foundation some money, and they can um, buy some of the money courses for people. Mm. Yeah. We do that. We, we distribute them to our community members. So they go right across Australia, um, our networks and yeah. All right. We'll talk off here. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll buy, we'll give you, we'll buy 10 of them. Yep. 10 what? Courses. 10 licenses. Yeah. Oh. 10 licenses. Okay. We'll round it up to a grand. Sweet. All right. And the impact of that, like we're saying quite off air, uh, someone who does our course, about 5.8 people, they tell them in the community or yep. their mm. friends or family. So, you know, that's 60 
families that, that's impact. So yeah, it'll right. be massive. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll, uh, we'll flick a grand over. And and for everyone, it's not from it's actually from my millennial money community. It's not John and I personally, as much as it might be. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, we want to donate it on behalf of my mil- my yeah. millennial money, Appreciate and it. also we will. Um, yeah, you've got our details, and if ever need to come on and update us with anything happening in First Nations world, or yeah. we can go the big day out when it comes back on. Yeah, I mean, I'd be keen for that. Yeah, we'll get you out there for chance. sure. Yeah, can we do one in like <laughs> I don't know? I want to Central Australia, Western Black Australia, Town. or something. Do you ever do any out in the West? Yeah, yeah, we did Massive West last year. They want us to come back, actually. Yeah, well, they're so big. We'll do it. Maybe we yeah. go to the Birdsville races and then head out after that. <laughs> I'm hearing Broome's a place to be. Oh, it's lots of luxury, like touristy Ooh, stuff. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, well, and because we've got to do a live event in Perth. Yes, we podcast do. podcast event. So yeah. we'll and now t- you've got a Prado. We now I've got a Prado. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> just, yeah, I'm going to drive. Do a travelling podcast, Newcastle to Perth. We could do that. A That's mate said level. to me last week, is Glenn trying to be you? I said, yeah. Hell yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that, Timmy or Jay? Timmy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll tell him to get stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks um, for that. Phil. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking Tim. <laughs> On your tip. Uh, and, and also thanks to First Nations Foundation for coming on the podcast. No problem. It's good fun. All right. See you. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. If you're looking for a super fund that puts its members' interests above all else, choose a super performer, Sun Super. With low fees, strong investment returns, and great member services, SunSuper is Super Ratings 2020 Fund of the Year and has also been awarded by Money Magazine, CanStar, and Finder. Find out more at sunsuper.com.au forward slash M3. You can join SunSuper online in under five minutes. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 